Hey guys, welcome to Positively Charged, the podcast where we dig into the world's news and finding those glowing sparks of light and charge them to illuminate the void we often find ourselves in. As always, we're your hosts, Bridget Levy. And I'm Bobby Frankenberger. And in the middle of our current public health crisis, amidst all the talk about masks and social distancing and schools opening up, there's this one little thing that keeps getting mentioned over and over again. And that's the vaccine, vaccine, vaccines, vaccine. It doesn't matter where you go. You're hearing about it. Exactly. What we like to do is is hone in on on that thing that has a, a positive, hopeful spin. And that's sort of how people have been talking about vaccines in, spe- in in particular once a vaccine is developed or when is this vaccine going to roll out well when we have the vaccine forging ahead with the development of a vaccine vaccines against- keep entering the conversation like like those 10 pounds you plan to lose before next summer right oh, like boy. you really do intend for it to happen <laughs> but it feels so far off that it, it's kind of like a fantasy you might yeah. just end up getting pushed back into next year just like this vaccine yeah intentions <laughs> right. are always there but now that that whole conversation's starting to change because, and this is the news that we wanted to talk about, just last week, there were some pretty exciting developments on the vaccine front. Several new COVID-19 vaccines entered into phase three trials. Now, that's the final stage of clinical trials where they tested out on tens of thousands of people, and it's starting to look like we might actually get a working vaccine by the end of the year. Which is insane. But since everything's going on right now, we did think that during the midst of this excitement and while scientists are doing their hard work and playing with all options and developing and we're just sitting around waiting, it might be a good time to actually look back on the history of vaccines and how they were developed and pretty much how we got from there to here. Right. Because the parallels of what's going on today and what's going on historically, as vaccines have been developed, is is nearly in all cases a story of people seeing people suffering, often dying all around them, and deciding that something has got to be done, that the current standard of medical care, while, while it may be doing something to help, isn't enough, and we can do better. So, Bridget, let me tell you a story about the first vaccine and the guy who proved that it was possible to do, Edward Jenner. So I'm going to set the scene for you. So, it's the late 1700s. Mm. King George III is king of England. There's uh, the smash music hits of the era are rock stars like Mozart and <laughs> Handel rocking out to classics like Hallelujah. Oh, and, man. Uh, right? So, the American colonies, they're talking about revolution, carbonated waters being invented for the first time. Like, like this is a really exciting time. But also, there was this smallpox. Wah, wah. Okay. And um, it was the... It, <laughs> It was hanging over everyone's head at the time. It was the leading cause of death in the, in the 1700s in Europe and Russia. In fact, every seventh child born in Russia died of smallpox. Most people would eventually become infected in their lifetime at this with smallpox at some point in their life. And if you became infected, 30% of those people would die. So this was a big thing. That it's uh, not something that people were taking very lightly. So a lot of physicians and scientists at the time were looking into this. So the way that people dealt with this were artificially give people smallpox. And the way they did that was they found people with smallpox and get ready, this is kind of gross. They would take uh, pus and scab Uh, material uh. and and they would take that from people who were infected with smallpox and then they would scratch the arms of people who are healthy and rub it in. (laughs) (laughs) Gross. Well, you know, it seems crazy to us right now, 
But the fact is that at the time, you were if you got smallpox, there was a thirty percent chance that you were going to die. Remember? Yeah. And, um, and so that's like one in one in four, maybe less. One in one, one in four people were dying of of smallpox at the time. And if you were given this variolation through this disgusting method, <sighs> then then uh, you would get a you would get smallpox. But it was they just found little, that it was though, um right yeah like, it was like just a little smallpox. <laughs> You would just get a little smallpox, and and your chance of dying in that method was only one in fifty. So still a lot, but better. So imagine having to make that decision as a person, thinking, okay, uh, an outbreak of smallpox just happened in my town. You know, I've got a better chance. A, a uh, one in fifty chance is better than a one in five chance of of dying. So I'm going to go ahead and do this. And and hope that I live. Now, by 1768, there was an English physician. His name was John Fuster, and he realized that in, if you instead infected people with cowpox instead of smallpox, which is related, mm. um, that it would also render you immune to smallpox. And this was a huge breakthrough. So, cowpox rarely kills anyone, um, and but they use the same method. They would find people that were infected with cowpox. They'd do this gross thing, and it would infect them with cowpox. And they'd be very sick. Um, and but sometimes would, die. but they wouldn't die. So Jenner said, we can do better. The problem was cowpox was weird, right? Mostly cows got cowpox. That's why yeah. it's called cowpox. Makes so sense. at the time, people had some weird ideas about whether or not they should be taking this cow virus and putting it in them. Some of them thought, is this going to even work? Am I going to turn into a cow? And I'm not oh joking. People sometimes thought they would get like. horns, <laughs> <laughs> And like they start turning black and white. Yes. Um, but so so it was not catching on as fast as people would like it. Um, but it was working. It doesn't sound very popular. Um, even in the medical profession, it wasn't. So Jenner said he, he knew if I could prove that the cowpox mm-hmm. vaccine, he started to call it, could inoculate people. If I could prove it somehow, do some tests and show that this could in definitively save lives, then I could at least get the medical community and the medical establishment on my side and we could start getting this out to people and people would stop dying. And that was very important to him. Um, he knew people who were dying of smallpox. People would come to him as a physician trying to, and, and he just knew I'm helping these people we need to yeah. get everybody helping these people because we could literally save thousands and thousands and thousands of lives if we could just uh, inoculate these people and maybe even prevent these outbreaks altogether. So famously, famously, he tested it on a small child, eight-year-old, James Phipps, which was his gardener's son. He mm-hmm. gave him uh, the the cowpox inoculation, this gross way that we talked about it, and yeah. and what Jenner did differently than other people is he set up a controlled trial, what people for the first time called challenge trials. And that's where he gave someone the cowpox virus. And then he, after that, then exposed them to smallpox. Now, that's a scary idea. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But he knew, he, Jenner knew that if he could do that in a controlled way, then he could show if they did not get the smallpox virus, he could document that. He could do it multiple times with many different patients. 
and test subjects and and he could show to again the medical community this is this this works and here's the proof So not even, not even just like with the vaccines, essentially just, he pretty much was the first one to sit there and be like, well, we should record this because you're saying like a lot of people were terrified. Even the medical field was worried about actually doing anything. And he's like, it's, I have so much trust in this that I'm going to record it and share it. Cause you're essentially educating people about it. So they're less terrified of getting this inoculation. Correct? Yes, absolutely. Because up until this point, the way that medical information spread, there were no like medical journals. There weren't like scientific journals to tell people about the new work that researchers were doing. The way that medical information was spread was, and I'm not joking, literally doctors would get together at the bar and they would have, <laughs> they would have meetings like, like the, the doctors hang out <laughs> and then, <Yeah. laughs> and they would tell what, tell each other what they've been doing that's been working. And then wow. they would go back to their respective practices and they'd try it out too and it would work and slowly it would spread. But Jenner was like, no, 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 I'm going to do this. I'm going to document it. Then I'm going to publish it and I'm going to spread, send it out to everyone. So I am definitely surprised that it wasn't just the vaccines, but it was like the paperwork and writing it down and essentially proving and sharing your information is what Jenner did. So I find that... Yeah really interesting and as groundbreaking as Jenner's research was, um, there is someone else that we should talk about. And I want to tell you about the father of modern vaccine, which is Louis Pessier. Uh, Ooh, I'm excited. Tell me about it. Oh, you should be excited. This guy is pretty incredible. So let me set the scene. All right. Cause you did it for me. Okay. It's only fair. Okay. 1865, the U S civil war is ending, but in the UK wine is turning into vinegar and milk is spoiling. Oh my gosh. Now, I probably shouldn't start with the Civil War because milk and wine doesn't seem that important. But trust me, the wine and the milk going to shit is pretty much <laughs> going to be the biggest impact of our lives. So again, wine, milk, spoiled travesty, right? Right. So at this point in history, people are believing in a thing called spontaneous generation, which is just like a fancy word to say people believe that living things would come out of non-living things. So... An example that I'm going to share with you, don't think any less of me, but an example I'm going to share with you is if you don't wash your dishes in the sink and you let them sit there for a, a while, maybe a number of days, maybe not, who's judging? Um, and then all of a sudden you go to wash your dishes and your sink is full of maggots. Um, people back then will be like, it's just spontaneous generation because you're right. There weren't started. maggots there yesterday. There's maggots there now. Yes. Your dishes have <laughs> sprouted maggots. You're like, I've created life. That's what they believed back then. So, and again, I've conducted that experiment, my, experiment myself. I didn't need to. <laughs> and I've done it twice. And it's not something I'm proud of, but I figured this was very fitting that I read through this. And I was like, huh, I've done that. So luckily to this point in time, Louie, we'll just nickname him Louie, is asked to help with food that's going bad in a small town, uh, industrial town that he was working in called Lee. Because he's going through and he's investigating why wine and milk and beer is going bad or turning sour, he invents pasteurization and debunks the theory of spontaneous generation at the same time by discovering that there's microorganisms that are affecting the food and spoiling it. So he did that. And he also realized that 
because microorganisms are affecting food, that they're kind of out in the world in general. And a lot of people got him, gave him kickback on that. They, he was pretty much saying that microorganisms are in the air and all around us. And you have people in the scientific field, they're like laughing at him. They're like, that's not possible. You're flat out crazy. Like, that's stupid. What are you thinking? This guy does sound like a nut job. He's like, <laughs> he's like, listen, guys, maggots are not spontaneously generating on your meat. What? There are <laughs> also invisible things in the air that are <laughs> spoiling your food. <laughs> I mean, when you explain like that, like people are like witchcraft, right? But, and I know that we're talking about vaccines and I'm starting literally at the base level of microorganisms. But trust me, we will get there. It's a whole, it's a whole thing. This guy's literally a whole thing. So where was I? Sounds <laughs> so he goes through, he's seeing how it's affecting food and the pasteurization. And he starts suggesting that like the flasks, that people need a clean and sterile environment. And again, we're kind of squirreling off here. The guy starts a trend of wash your hands. Because because of all this and the microbes in the air, he starts suggesting to doctors to sterilize their tools and scrub up before surgery, which at the time, no one was doing. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but but here we're starting to get the parallel, right? Like it's starting to come, come back because what are people talking about all the time today? Don't mm, wash, wash, your hands. wash your hands for 20 seconds and don't touch your face. <laughs> like, right. So... <laughs> Here's where we start getting into the foundation, into the vaccines, and also where it gets wild. All right. Stay with me. Through lucky coincidences, Louis is in the process of working on an infectious disease called cholera uh, that he was working in with in chickens. So this crazy story goes that he decided to peace out for a holiday and he told his assistant to infect the birds because they've been um, doing multiple experiments on this to try to figure out what's going on. So he's like, hey, man, I'm going to leave. I'm going to bail. I left you a little something, something. Uh, if you can infect the birds when I leave, that'd be great. Right. And the guy's like, totally got you. I got this. We're solid. Somehow he forgets to do it. And he's like, I'm bouncing and going on vacation myself. So his assistant leaves. He comes back a month later. A oh, my month God. So later. A month later. <laughs> the, col the cholera has been sitting, sitting out for out. a month. It's been sitting out for a month. So it's been sitting out for the month. The guy comes back and he's like, oh, shit. Like he completely forgot about it. And he's like, I'm going to get can't. Yeah, I'm going to get canned. Like he's fired 100%. So he's like, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to inject them anyway. So he injects them with the month old bacteria. And he's seeing these birds getting mildly sick, but none of them are like fatally dying like they had been in past experiments. So he's like, well, I messed up and we've ruined the whole experiment and it's not working. We're going to have to trash all these birds and like start again. Mm -hmm. And um, in the spirit of recycling, Lewis reused the chickens and ended up injecting them with a fresh batch of the bacteria. And he ended up being really surprised that none of them got sick at all. And this is using a fresh batch. Oh, right. So they should have been, he expected them. So I think I think I see where you're going with this. Mm -hmm. The idea is that, that he stumbled on was that that first batch of cholera that got left out for a month, probably they, they got weakened or died. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so exactly. So kind of counterbalancing off of Jenner, where they're looking for like a weakened, a naturally weakened version of smallpox or cowpox, he had it done artificially and he didn't even know it. So he had it sitting out for a month, didn't realize it was kind of losing its vigor, you know? And so he used the weakened strand 
of cholera and used it into the chickens. And that made the immunity towards the actual like fresh strand of it. And using that scientific method that not technology, but the scientific method of that, he went on and used that towards making vaccines for anthrax and vaccines for rabies. Oh, my gosh. Those are two scary viruses. And he was able to to do that. That's amazing. And so that's the cool, that's the thing that I love about science and medical science in particular is that it just continues to be this churning process where necessity meets technology and then and then people in the process decide we can do better. We can do better than this. And that's that's what we've seen with both Jenner and Pasteur and there are so many other uh people in the history of vaccines that we're not even mentioning that that all did the same thing in the face of adversity and everything. So I, I, it's 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 a it's a story worth telling. And and that's what the vaccine news that we're all hearing about right now is all about as well. It's it's easy to hear about these faceless pharmaceutical companies and yeah. research institutions. Yeah, and forget that there are there are scientists behind this research, people that are working very hard in this really desperate hope that their idea is going to pan out and that it's going to save lives. And so right now we've got four leading candidates in phase three trials. Uh, Every one of these four candidates are working with brand new vaccine technology that's never been used before. So it's, it's just like Jenner and Pasteur. So these people are working in new ways to bring these vaccines to us faster and more reliably than has been done before. And it's looking really promising. Three of the four are going into these final phases of testing have already shown between 90 and 100% effectiveness in generating immunity to COVID-19. That's that's insane. fantastic. Yes, absolutely. That's very promising. Mm-hmm. And all this is happening so much faster than anybody ever expected. Do you remember back in April, experts were talking about 12 to 18 months being the earliest we would see a vaccine? Yeah, I I pretty much when everything was going on, everyone was saying, OK, this is what it's going to be. We're going to have to hunker down for 12 to 18 months. But, you know, us doing the research and, and looking into this topic today, it's insane because it makes me think, we, what are we at? Six, six months, six, seven months that we're currently in right now? Yes, they're going into wide testing this week means that we could be seeing a vaccine by the end of the year. Right. So. Uh, and okay, so I was thinking about a way that we could wrap this up, this <laughs> this story that we were talking about, and and I was looking back at some notes that I was looking at while, while we were putting together mm-hmm. our story, and I remember two words that I put at the top, and I, I think they're a good way to close this out, and that was inspiration and hope. And to me, that just sums up so nicely the the driving force behind science and medical research that happens all the time it's it's this spark of inspiration and this hope that we can make people live better lives thanks for joining us on the podcast today if you're interested in learning about these and other pioneers in vaccines check out our show notes i'm bobby and i'm bridget and we'll see you next week